Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, in all we do, it is our desire to honor you above all else. Father, as we go through our day-to-day lives, it's very easy for us to honor other things instead of you. Lord, we honor our careers. We honor our jobs. We honor our bosses. We honor our government. But as we go through our lives, we are quick to forget to honor you above all else. Father, to start with you first. And so, Father, we pray this morning that our honor, that our love, that our faith would be directed to you first and foremost, above all else, Father. Lord, one of the ways that we can do that, one of the ways that we can honor you is to be able to admit that we are sinful people, that we make mistakes, that we are disobedient, that we are rebellious, Father. And Lord, we could just go to you right here, right now, each of us individually, and just say, God, forgive me for these things. Forgive me for my mistakes that I've made, for the things that I wish I could have done better, for the things I wish I didn't do. So we're just going to take a moment, each of us right now, individually, go to God, ask forgiveness, so that we can worship you this morning, Lord. Let's just do that. And Father, we just ask this morning, Lord, that you would forgive us of those things. Father, that you would help us as we go through life. Lord, we thank you that you've given us life, and we thank you that you've given us salvation. And Father, we pray this morning that we may be able to take hold of that, Father. Lord, that we may be able to take hold of the faith that you have instilled in us to follow you. Father, we pray this morning that we just ask your Holy Spirit to be with us, to help us, to give us wisdom, to give us guidance as we pursue you in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Repeat the sentence on the touchscreen, then you are free. Minuteman ID 8808, disengage voice encryption lock. Thank you, Ethan Shaw. Operation Guillotine restored to active status consistent with all national security directives. Tracking relevant targets. Secretary of Homeland Security, Education, Health, and Human Continue on to your son. It's okay. It's okay. 
One thing that Hollywood is very good at doing is showing scenes where people are willing to sacrifice themselves for someone else, right? And so it's, it's sort of, we could say, a universal idea that sacrificing oneself for someone else is considered to be sort of the highest thing that a person could do, at least according to the world, at least according to, the, the, ah, sorry, to society. And um, so we're going to talk today about this issue, about this issue of sacrifice. Because we're going to find out today that actually this is an idea that God has instilled within humanity for thousands of years as we introduce this idea of this morning of Jesus as sacrifice. Um, in the movie clip today, um, we see someone willing to make a sacrifice. Um, the guy there, the hero, he's willing to you know, give up his life for the life of a child, right? And so we're going to talk about how sacrifice is sort of a universal idea, something that God has used to instill in the hearts of men so that when um, the time was right for God to bring people back to himself, to reconcile people back to himself, that we were able to understand what was going on. Well, Jesus' sacrifice is our three-part series that we're going to be working on. Um, our three-week series is Why Jesus' Death Matters to Us. We just went through Easter, right? And if you were, went to church at all on Easter, you heard that Jesus died. That's good, right? Except that usually uh, when we talk about people dying, that's a bad thing, right? But if you went to a church on Easter, then churches tend to celebrate Jesus' death, right? I mean, they tend to act like the, the fact that Jesus died was a good thing, right? But it seems a little bit weird because, of course, when someone dies, that's supposed to be a bad thing, not a good thing. Why is it that Jesus' death matters for us? Why do we even care? Why does it matter for us? And more importantly, the question that I hope to get into, not so much this week, but in the next two weeks, is what does it really matter for us? Does it really matter on a day-to-day -day basis? Does it really matter in the light of eternity? Does it really matter, or is it just something that we come and we say, yay, Jesus died for us, all right, let's go back to work and just live our lives however we uh, were living them before. So these are some of the issues that we're going to take up over the next few weeks. Now, here's our strategy. I mentioned this um, during the uh, welcome, but I need to mention this again. Occasionally, there are messages where I cannot complete them in one sitting, okay? If I tried to complete it today, you guys would feel like information overload, okay? And it would be me cramming a lot of stuff into a very small space, and you would feel more disgruntled than you normally do when you leave BBC. Hopefully, you don't feel disgruntled when you leave BBC, but uh, you would feel a little bit frustrated. And so this morning, I'm going to try to take things nice and slow. So I tried not to add too many slides. It may be that the message only ends up being 15 minutes, and if it does, okay, fine. Um, but I tried to not put in too many slides because I really want to just sort of explain some of the background. But I want to explain the big picture background. If you've been in BBC for a while, you know um, that uh, based on my experience, education, and other things, one of the things that I think churches do incorrectly is that they try to give you a lot of details when you don't need details. What you need is you need the big picture answer, right? 
And then later, if you want to fill in the details for yourself in a life group or in a Bible study or whatever, I think that's good. But there's not going to be any charts. There's not going to be any details. We're just going to talk about this so that you will understand the big picture issues here. Hopefully, that's the goal. Having said that again, let me just say that you have to come back next week because if you don't, you're going to get all the bad news this week and none of the good news. I'm going to try to, you know, like every sequel in a movie, you know, it's like a cliffhanger. This is one of those movies where the cliffhanger, like the hero dies and there's just, that's the end of it, right? You think that's the end of it. So we're going to talk about that this morning, but you got to come back at least next week um, because otherwise it's not really a complete thought. It's half a sentence is what we're going to be doing today. So, here, so that's our strategy a little bit. Today we're going to talk about the backstory. The other thing is I'm going to try not to bore you to death, okay? And that's the reason why I'm going to keep it as, as big picture oriented as possible so as not to put anyone to sleep more so than usual. Okay, so here's the backstory. That's what we're going to start with today about Jesus' sacrifice. We're going to look at Hebrews um, chapter 10 verses 1 through 7. Um, I would highly encourage you if you are a believer or even if you're not a believer... Um, that's fine too, but to go and read Hebrews 9 and 10 before next week. That will make things a little bit easier. You're probably going to have lots of questions. You can always ask them in your life group, but read it and then come back next Sunday. And I'm going to try to explain things and make it a little bit more clear. Okay, so now that everybody has a lot of fear about what we're going to do this morning, let's go ahead and get to it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you're welcome to. This is also is a little bit of a complicated verse. Uh, well, complicated couple of verses here. So if you have a Bible, I recommend to kind of refer back to it. All right. Here's what Hebrews says. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. Okay, now let's, let me just stop there. Because what we're going to be talking about here is if you've ever been to Sunday school or if you've ever had a religion class in college, you'll know that the Jewish faith, which also is basically our faith as well, okay, that the Jewish faith before Jesus, what they did was they would regularly go and make sacrifices to God in the temple for the forgiveness of their sins. In other words, they believed that if they sacrificed an animal, um, and et cetera, et cetera, there's other you know, conditions there, but that basically if they were to make a sacrifice, that, that sacrifice would some way get them right with God, okay? Now, we know now, because the Bible has sort of been finished, so to speak, that that sacrifice was just pointing forward to what God was going to do finally in Jesus, okay? But we're going to talk about that and understand a little bit why today, again, not without going, we're not going to go into a lot of details, but just big picture. So this old system, okay, this old system of making sacrifices in the temple, right, um, under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. Okay, now this is really important because um, a lot of people, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but a lot of people um, that if you ask them thousands of years ago, they may not have always understood that what they were doing by learning to sacrifice the animals in the temple was not the end of the road. It was not the result that God was necessarily looking for 100%. It was the shadow of what God was going to do, okay? Um, if you're confused, I'll, we'll get caught up. A dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship, okay? So what happened is, is that people would come, 
And a lot of times it would come down to the, you know, there'd be a once of a year, once a year festival. And people would come and they would have a number of sins that they would know they were in their lives, right? And they would come to Jerusalem and they would make a sacrifice to God there. And they would do that year in and year out, okay? Sort of like if, you know, if, if you uh, remember what it was like to be a, an adult who is not a believer, what do you tend to do, right? Every time you do something wrong, you try to rush over to the church and, and bow down and, you know, hope that somehow God's going to absolve you of the mistakes that you made, right? And so that's kind of what it got into, right? It got into that situation. So the problem is, though, as you know, is that when you go, like, okay, let me give you an example. Um, every so often, somebody will come to me, I'll be here, or Addie will be here, or Rex will be here, somebody, one of the staff will be here at BBC, and someone will come to me, they'll, they'll come knock on the front door of the church, and I'll say, hey, what's going on? They're like, hey, listen, uh, I need to, something's wrong in my life, I need to come down here, I need to make a sacrifice, I need to make an offering, you know, they'll, they'll usually try to give me money, something like that, right? And they think that by doing that, that it somehow resolves them or absolves them of the mistake that they made, right? But we as Christians know the Bible says that doesn't do it, right? It doesn't do it, okay? Although their precedent for doing it is based on a biblical idea, it's not what does it, okay? Let's, let's continue on. Uh, starting verse 2. If they could have provided, okay, so if the animal sacrifices could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. So when the guy comes and says, hey, I did something wrong, I smoked pot last night, here's 20 bucks, can God resolve me of my sins, right? Uh, can God absolve me of my sins, right? Uh, you know, the problem is next week he's going to be back again wanting to give me another 20 bucks, right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't fully do it, right? It just, for some reason it just doesn't completely do it. Same way, right? Um, if it could have just done it one time, it would have stopped and everybody would have been good and they would have just continued on with their lives. But instead, verse 3, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. How many of you felt like that? How many of you, especially if you remember what it was like to be a non-believer, okay, going to church as an adult? Why do a lot of non-believers not want to go to church? People who have never made a commitment to Jesus. Why do they not want to go to church? Because church just reminds them of all the things they do wrong, right? That's, that's the reason why. So you ask a lot of people who have some knowledge of who Jesus is, right? And they know that if they come to church, that what's going to happen? God is going to make them feel bad about the fact that they are sinful people, right? And that they make mistakes. Now, this is, a, of course, this is a side discussion, but, you know, there's two kinds of churches in our world. There's not really, but just an example, there's those churches that, you know, where basically they say, oh, you haven't done anything wrong, you know, you're all good, everything's fine, but of course that's not really the gospel, right? Um, and so you got to be able to admit that we make mistakes, I make mistakes, you make mistakes, that sort of thing, right? But instead, those sacrifices actually remind them of their sins year after year. Same way with us, right? When people come into church, they feel, although feel is the word here, okay, they feel as though they're being reminded of their sins over and over again, so better just stay home and not be reminded of it, right? For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats, which, by the way, were the animals that were sacrificed, to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. 
And so Jesus said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the scriptures. Now we're going to pick it up from there because Jesus is quoting the Old Testament there. We're going to pick it up there um, next week. But let's talk about three ideas here. And I'm going to try to go, like I said, I'm going to try to go slow um, because I know this can be kind of confusing. But I feel like that for us who are believers and trying to grow in our faith, that it's really important that we have this idea firmly in our mind and we understand exactly why um, Jesus' sacrifice is so critical for us. First idea that we're going to talk about this morning is that our mistakes result in our guilt. Okay, we're going to go fast through the first couple of points because many of you have been here you know, for a while, you know these ideas. But our mistakes result in our guilt. If you have your handout in your bulletin, you're welcome to follow along. Here's what happens. When we make a mistake, right, when we make a mistake, it causes guilt to come in our lives. Now, when I use the word guilt, I'm not talking about feeling guilty, okay? We need to distinguish between our feelings and our position, all right? So, l- let me just give you an example. The problem is, is that many of you who are believers, and let me just not say many BVCers, but let me say the average person that goes into a church on Sunday morning who is a believer in Jesus a lot of times they will feel guilty because of the mistakes that they have made in their past, but where is that guilty feeling coming from? Is it coming from God? No, it's not coming from God. Who is that guilty feeling coming from? Ourselves or Satan, the enemy, right? It's coming from one of those two places, right? We ourselves want to make ourselves feel guilty. Satan would love for us to feel guilty. Why? Because if you are a believer who feels guilty, you are not a powerful believer. You are not someone who is out there on the front lines for God. You are someone who barely gets up and goes to church. You are someone who barely will share the gospel with someone. You barely read the Bible. You barely pray. Okay? Now, so that's not what we're talking about here. When we say that, let me just go back to the first slide again so that we're all clear. When I say um, that our mistakes result in our guilt, What I mean is is that when we make a mistake, we at that point have guilt in our lives because we are guilty. Not feel guilty, we are guilty, okay? So if I go and I drive my car and I run a red light here and the cop pulls me over, right, and he gives me a summons, okay, then at that point I have to declare my guilt or lack of guilt, okay? So I'm using it as a noun there. I have to say I'm, I, I am guilty or I am not guilty. I have to say I have guilt in it or I do not have guilt. So our mistakes, when we do something wrong, it does result in our guilt. If I go out here and I run a red light, guess what? I have guilt now, okay? And someone is going to make me pay for that guilt. California Civil Code, blah, 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 right? That's what's going to make me pay for my guilt. So let's talk about this. First of all, our brokenness causes separation from people. Okay, so when we make mistakes, when we're disobedient, what the Bible calls sin, when we do things like that, what happens is guilt enters into our lives. Here's the way it works, okay? If I go, and let's say that Roland has a brand new Harley outside, right, that he just bought. If I go and I steal his Harley, and I ride it up and down Capitol Avenue, right, and then I bring it back to him, mostly in good shape, right, then I'm going to have guilt in my life for doing what? Being rude, being hurtful, stealing maybe, borrowing without permission certainly, all these things, right? 
The problem is, is that Roland doesn't, when I bring the bike back, he may love the Lord and he may be, you know, a faithful follower of Jesus, but he is not going to forgive me like that, right? And when I, he sees me drive off on his bike, he's going to have some hurt feelings. He's going to have some hard feelings about it, right? So what happens is you could say that my relationship with Roland is going to be damaged by that, right? By me, my stealing his bike, the relationship is going to be damaged. Now, because he is trying to follow Jesus, and I'm trying to follow Jesus, and we're trying to be forgiving people, it is possible through the power of God for us to forgive each other, but there is still the damage done in that relationship. Is he going to, is, uh, next Sunday, is he going to walk past me on the morning and say, hey, pastor, I'm going to leave my keys for the bike here on the table. Um, you know, I'm sure nobody will touch him. Is he going to do that? No, he's going to be, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put those keys and keep those safe so that pastor doesn't steal my bike and run down, go down the street with it, right? So our brokenness causes separation between people. This is a thing that happens, and the problem is because I am fallible, which means I make mistakes, right? I'm not perfect, um, which is one of the reasons why we have sin and mistakes and errors in our lives. And because he is fallible, which means he is not perfect, right? We sort of never can really work it out. Think about a marriage situation. If you're married, if you're not married, this is what you have to look forward to. But if you're married, right, it's really hard sometimes to forgive your spouse, right? And there are times where you say things like, you know what, I'm never going to forgive you for this. I'm never going to forget that you did this, right? I'm never going to forget that you forgot my birthday or whatever the case may be. So the problem is we live in a world where there is constantly mistakes being made by us and by other people who are around us which result in this avalanche of guilt that comes into our lives, right? We're going to talk about this in just a second. But our disobedience also causes a gap between us and God as well, right? I mean, in the same way, when we go, and I'll use the example of smoking pot that I used earlier, but if we go, and uh, if we go out and we, get, we party, you know, we get loaded, you know, whatever the case may be, and um, we're not going to wake up the next morning and feel what? Hey, man, I'm ready to go to church, right? That's not going to happen, right? We're not going to feel like, man, I'm going to go out and just do something for the Lord today, right? No, we're not going to be like that at all. And so what happens is, is that when we disobey God, when we are disobedient to him, it causes a gap to enter into um, any type of relationship that we may have. Especially if we're not a believer, it just causes a gap to feel bigger and bigger and bigger, right? I mean, if you talk to someone who is... Um, you know, really just had a very uh, problematic life, you'll find out real quickly that they'll tell you what? That God can't possibly love me. Why? Because I've done too much bad. You don't know how much bad I've done, Pastor. You've had it easy your whole life. You have been a good boy your whole life, but me, you don't know all the wicked things I've done. God does not love me, right? And so the problem is, is that for all of us, for you and for me, for every person ever born into this world, we do things, we make mistakes, we err, we sin, is what the Bible calls, and that sinfulness, that separates us from people, and it separates us from God as well. And so what happens is, we end up with guilt in our lives, because we are guilty of having borrowed his bike, we're guilty of having smoke pot, or whatever the case may be, we're guilty of this, we're guilty of that, right? And so what happens is, is that it separates us from us, from other people. 
our guilt must be paid for. Okay, now this is a, a very classic example here that I'm going to be using, and then I'm going to expand on it a little bit in the next point. But when we have guilt in our lives, it must be paid for in some way, shape, form, another. After all, it's only fair. Let's talk about this, because the problem is, and the weird thing is, it's not really a problem, actually. I like to say that word. It's a problem. The weird thing, the unusual thing is, is that no matter where you come from, no matter your background, we all have a sense that life should be fair, right? No one goes to work and says to their boss, hey, I hope you're unfair today to all your employees. Just be as unfair as possible to everyone, right? Or you don't, you know, if you, if you, if you see... Um, someone with like three or four kids, you say, man, I hope you're an unfair parent. I hope you pick one and that's your favorite and you hold on to that one. Don't care about the other ones, right? We don't say that, right? Because all of us, no matter who we are, we have a sense that we want life to be fair, right? And so somehow, some way, we really hope that there will be fairness or at least justice of some sort in our world. Let me give you an example. We want, no, we don't want expect no we don't expect we demand for there to be justice in our world right if our boss treats someone unfairly especially in the very positive way and then treats us in a very negative way what do we do we march ourselves down to human resources and we demand that something change right because it's not fair right what happens when um if you have two kids and you give them one piece of candy and you don't give the other one a piece of candy, right? Does that fit well with them? Does the one who doesn't get a piece of candy, are they just satisfied that they didn't get a piece of candy? No, right? You know, it's, um, we expect that there to be justice or fairness in the world. But here's the problem. This is a problem. Whenever I've been in Africa, and I haven't been for about two years now, so I'm really missing it. But whenever we go, whenever I, uh, three years now, actually. But whenever I go to Africa... Um, if you go into the slums or the small towns and the, there's lots of poor children, right? One of the things you learn is you can't take out like three pieces of candy and give it to them, right? Why not? Because they'll tear each other to shreds over those pieces, three pieces of candy, right? I mean, you think Ultimate Fighting Championship on TV, you ain't seen nothing, cage match, until you get, you know, 100 orphans running around after three pieces of candy. They'll kill each other for it, right? I mean, maybe not like in the grave kill each other, but they'll beat themselves silly for those three pieces of candy. So you have to be really careful when you give them anything because, and as Westerners, we feel what? That we need to be fair, right? So I've, I've literally seen people bring these huge bags of candy, right? And they'll sit there and they'll hand out one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And like an hour later, I come back and they're still there handing out because the problem is there's an unending number. And what they do, of course, they eat the candy real quick and get back in line as fast as they can, right? Because they're not interested in fair, they just want to get the candy, right? In the same way with us as well. But here's the thing. The thing is, is that as we go through life, it's very easy for us to demand fairness. We expect it. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons is this, is just as every human ever born, ever born intuitively and innately grasps the idea of God, okay? You don't have to explain God to anyone. Everyone gets it. Everyone gets it. Yeah, they might, you know, look at God in a weird way compared to us sometimes, you know, maybe think it's a mothership or whatever, but... Everyone grasps the idea of God, even from a very, very young age. So, too, do they grasp the idea of justice, right? 
I mean, you don't have to tell a two-year-old or a three-year-old what's fair. They know what's fair. They should get all the candy, <laughs> right? You don't have to tell them. You have to teach them to share, right? But there's an innate sense of justice or fairness or what I deserve that goes along with all of us that we get, right? I mean, why do we call people, I'm going to mess up the word here, but if we watch the movies or we watch the headlines, there's people that we call what? Sociopaths, right? Or psychopaths. I think it's sociopaths, the word. But why do we call them sociopaths? Why do we give the name for them and uh, just, you know, want and basically consider them a huge danger to society? Does anybody know why? Well, they have no moral compass. You know, the, the, the diagnosis that they have is that they have no ability to determine right from wrong, the sense of justice. It's like their sense of justice is completely gone. They were never given one, or it just is so far down in their whatever, that in their heart that they can't access it, right? Or there's a short in their brain that allows them not to be able to access it, right? Because the problem is this sense of justice is instilled in us, not just from our parents or our family, but from God himself, right? This need for justice. Okay, now how does this play in? Well, I'm going to bring this out. The problem is, is that we ourselves know, if we are honest, that when we make mistakes, that we bring hurt and we bring guilt upon ourselves, okay? Because of that, there has to be a way to pay for that, right? Even our own sense of fairness, if you, if you, if you love your spouse, okay? There has been times where you have said something horrible to them or done something horrible to them only to the next day think, you know what? I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that, right? If you've been married, I know you've said something bad to your spouse. And if you said something bad to your spouse, unless you're a sociopath, you have had remorse the next day, right? You have realized that you what you said was wrong and there is guilt now in your life, right? What do you do? Come on, we learn it at two years old. What do you do when there's guilt in your life? You have to go and do what? You have to say you're sorry. Well, that's what we learn, right? You have to go say you're sorry. So you say you're sorry, and then what is that supposed to do? It's supposed to pay for the mistake that you've made and res remove the guilt from your life, right? Does it work? Well, sometimes, not, you know, I mean, I'm a pessimist, well, I'm a realist, not an optimist. If I was an optimist, I might say, yeah, it works a lot, you know. But uh, as a realist, I know that it, okay, let's be fair. It works on two different levels. Because on the one level, it works where you say, no, okay, you know, yeah, I know you said that, and I appreciate you saying you're sorry. And we kind of move on, right? We move on. But the problem is, is that for many of us, we keep sort of a record, you know, of all the wrongs and all the guilt that the other person has, right? Okay, I won't identify which gender tends to do that more in marriages, but <laughs> you know what I mean, right? <laughs> hey, I want to keep my job, right? So, uh, so the thing is, is that um, so the thing is, is that that's that's what happens. Now, here's the thing: when we make these mistakes, we don't have a way to pay for them ourselves because we can never actually erase what was said, right? I mean, the only way to really eliminate what I said hurtful to my spouse would be to do what? To go back in time, get the time machine, and actually snap those words out of the air before they ever came out. And maybe the facial expression, the look as well, right? I would need to t get all those things out. 
just put a big old bag over your head. Just, you know, do the time machine, put a big old bag over your head, and that would eliminate the mistake, right? The problem is, though, is that it doesn't, we can't do that. There is no time machine. Sorry to break this to you. Um, there is no time machine. You can't buy one on eBay that we can go back in time and actually have that happen. Let me give you another example. Um, when we're a child, we make mistakes. And I, use, I like to use children because I think that it makes it a black and white situation. Because there are always going to be people who say, well, pastor, I've got my life pretty well organized. I don't steal. I don't kill. Therefore, I'm not sinful. Well, that's not sinful as the Bible defines it to begin with. So, no, that doesn't have anything to do with whether you're sinful or not. But when we're a kid, we all can remember a time where we stole something or we did something naughty to another child. You could go today, like let's say in third grade, JC was your best friend and you stole a pencil from him. You could go now, 30 years later, 60 years later, whatever, to JC, find him and give him the pencil back, right? But the problem is, is that it never really erases the hurt that occurred in his life because the pencil was stolen to begin with, right? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like if I go and I steal Roland's Harley, right? And I drive it up and down Capitol and I wreck it. And then I go to Costco and buy him a little Schwinn tricycle and bring it back in the parking lot, right? <laughs> and I say, Roland, here's your tricycle, right? And he says, oh, pastor, that makes me feel so good. I will accept the tricycle in place of my Harley. No problem. No problem, right? <laughs> Is that what he says? <laughs> no, you can tell by shouting back there, no, it's not what he's going to do, right? The mistakes that we make build up in our lives. And so to erase and eliminate completely the mistakes that we have takes something beyond our power to do. All right, so what happens is, is that we can never replace fully what we've taken. So here's where it comes into play. Let's look again at Hebrews chapter 10, and we can kind of see where it comes into play here. here. Here's what the Bible says. Under the old system, under the law of Moses, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things that come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have been stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared, right? I mean, this is almost like saying that, you know, it just didn't work, right? It's like us saying our sorry. We keep saying we're sorry over and over again, right? We go to God and we say we're sorry. We go to our spouse and we say we're sorry, right? We're saying sorry over and over again, and we teach our kids that saying sorry is what? Is it good or is it bad? Well, it's good, right? I mean, at least that's what we tend to teach our kids, that it's good, right? Because we want them to at least to pay for some of the guilt, right? We want them to at least accept responsibility, right? But the problem is that it doesn't fully erase it, right? So we learn to do what? We teach our kids to say our so they're sorry so that they will try to do what? So that they will try to change, so that they will try to be different, so that they will try to take responsibility, right? We would live in a bad world or a worse world if we never told our, and well, we could just go to the great mall and probably find an example of parenting that's like this, and it would drive us up the wall, right? Where you have kids where the parents never teach them to say they're sorry, right? And so what happens is the kids do what? They just act like hellions, right? They're out there in the mall running around like crazy people, right? And just, you know, they knock, uh, they run into an adult. 
And the parent just says, oh, well, I don't care, you know, right? What do we look, what do we think of when we see a kid like that and a parent like that, right? It bothers us, right? Because we wish that somehow the parent had taught them to have some more responsibility to learn this in their lives, right? Let's talk about how God teaches this. This is the whole point of what this passage is about. Only God can bridge the gap between our mistakes and our guilt in restoration, all right? Let's, let, let me just mention this briefly here. Moses' system was just a starting point. You see, we have to think about it like this. If God had simply came out of the blue and sent his son Jesus to, like we talked about at Easter, to come and die for us on the cross, right, totally out of the blue, it would be difficult for us to understand how powerful of an act or how monumental or how significant of an act it would have been had we never seen it before, right? Okay, so if we never taught our kids to say our sorry, let's just say that a whole generation of adults never teach their kids to say that they're sorry. Two generations go by, and some parent reads in a book this word sorry, and they're like, well, I don't know what that means. So they just for fun teach their children to say they're sorry every time they make a mistake, right? So the child goes to school, and when the teacher calls on them, and they say the wrong word, or they do something bad, and they say, teacher, I'm sorry, then everyone's going to look at them and be like, well, what does that mean? I don't get it, right? Is that in the English? Let's look that up in the dictionary. I don't understand what that means. Oh, it means he's apologizing. Well, I don't know what that means either. So, um, okay, well, let's just move on, because I'm not really sure what that means, right? And so what happens is, is that in order for Jesus' sacrifice to be universal, meaning that anyone can understand anywhere, God has to have a starting point in our world whereby we could understand the significance of sacrifice. Okay? Listen, if you see someone make a sacrifice for you or for someone you know, it brings home the reality of sacrifice far more than just talking about it, right? It does. And so if there is a sort of a way that we can learn about sacrifice and sort of have a prep or a beginning or an introduction to it, it makes it more clear and more simple and more easy for us to understand. This is exactly what Moses' system was, right? When God decided that he was going to send Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for us, he needed a way to communicate it to people to instill it in their lives so that they would understand that this is what he was going to do. Let me, read, let me just say this. While there are several views of God's covenant with Moses, meaning that different people look at it different ways, this is not the only way, but one of the most popular is God's need to teach the idea of sacrifice for generations. In other words, the, one of the main purposes of the Old Testament was to teach people to get them sort of accustomed to the idea that if you make a mistake, then somehow someone has to pay for that mistake, right? There has to be someone has to take responsibility for that mistake, right? If you don't teach that, or if you don't allow people to understand that they have to take some responsibility, what happens? You end up producing a lot of people who are just as selfish and as broken as they can be, right, who never take responsibility. They're like the children at the mall, you know, that I'm just, I don't know that the great mall is really like that. I have been to malls that, that are like that, right, where you just have, you know, younger children running wild like crazy. And what happens is, is that no one seems to get the idea or learn it, right? Listen, it's like this. When God 
at the, really, at the dawn of time, introduced the idea of sacrifice to people so that they would get this idea that sacrifice was required for us to be made right again, for us to be reconciled to someone else, right? So that's the whole reason why the Old Testament has all those laws and has all those ideas, right? I mean, if you've ever wondered why they, why they killed animals, like if you're an animal lover, you know, I know that's always an issue with the Bible. Why would they kill animals, right? Well, you know, why do they have all these laws? Why do they say they, they stone this person for that? Well, stoning was a capital punishment. But people had to learn that there was a what? That there was a result of the guilt in their lives. Otherwise, with no legal system, with no penalty, with no responsibility, what would happen? Everyone would just be, it would be chaos. Everyone would just do whatever they wanted to do, right? We teach our kids to say our, they're sorry because we want them to understand that what they did was wrong and not to do it anymore. The reason why God set up the Old Testament system, the law of sacrifices, was to teach people that what they were doing was wrong and so they wouldn't do it anymore. You know, I've, I think about it this way. I used to not, I'm not, I would not describe myself as an animal lover, although I do have a cat, and I do like animals, right? And if you're an animal lover here, I want to, I think this will make this, I hope, if it doesn't offend you, it'll make it crystal clear. There should have been hard feelings, bad feelings about God's command to sacrifice an animal at the altar. It's not supposed to be easy to do. That's the reason why I don't like the charts and all that stuff, because you get this sense that, you know, people, and I'm sure there were people who were like this, you know, who would just go and kill however many bulls they thought, right, if they were rich or they were wealthy enough. But we already know people like that. They're in our world too, right? But the average person, if they have three or four sheep, they knew those sheep. They called those sheep by name, right? And when they, had, when they did something terribly wrong and they went to temple to sacrifice that sheep, right, it was not supposed to be fun. It wasn't a day at the park where they just went and gutted the sheep and, oh, well, I'm done, right? No, that was the sheep that they raised from a, from a little baby, ooh, calf, whatever. I don't know what the baby sheeps are, right? Lamb, thank you. I knew it had some name. They raised it from a lamb, right? And it should be painful, right? Because it's a sacrifice. And so the thing is, is that when you did it, when you sacrificed little sheep, little lamb, fam, whatever his name is, right? It should have been painful. It should be difficult. It should teach us responsibility. And that's the reason why God instilled this and spent thousands of years with the Jewish people, the people of God, to teach the world that when we make mistakes, there's a way to get to, to resolve those mistakes, to be reconciled, but it's a painful process. It's not supposed to be easy, otherwise we just do it over and over again, right? Otherwise the sacrifice is not meaningful. Let me read this from Hebrews 9. That is why even the first covenant, this is from a few paragraphs before, okay? That is why even the first covenant was put, meaning the agreement between God and Moses to sacrifice animals, was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle, which means their, their, their temple, and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, right? And so what happens is, is that God required it. 
Do not think that Moses thought, hey, it'd be cool to butcher a bunch of animals. That's not what happened. God said, listen, you have to teach the people, my people, that blood is the only thing that will result in forgiveness. Now, why is this? Okay, why is this? Well, because blood means what? If you bleed, you're going to do what? You're going to die. That's right. And we as people had to realize that there is a final terminal mistake when we hurt other people, right? Listen, if somebody went out there today and they murdered someone, would we be okay if that person, you know, was invited on Jerry Springer or Larry King Live and they were like, man, you killed someone, hey, that's cool, whatever, just go do whatever you want to do now, go ahead. You can be on American Idol, you can be on TV, you can do whatever you want to. Don't worry about jail, it's optional. Would we be happy with that? No, why not? Because their guilt was so large and so great that there would be a public outcry because we would demand what? Justice. We would want fairness, right? We would say, what about the victim's family? What about the poor victim that you killed, right? Isn't there, there's got to be some justice or some fairness in the world, right? The problem is, is that each of us, we don't kill anyone, but each of us, if we look at all the mistakes that we made, right, throughout our lives, all the times that we stole pencils from Sally, all the times that we stole Roland's Harley, all the times that we wished, we lusted after Roland's Harley, all the times that we did, you know, whatever, and of course I'm being facetious, all the times that we, we said things to our wife and we hurt them, right, the problem is, or we hurt our spouse, if we think about all those times over and over and over and over again, how do we resolve the guilt? that's in our lives. People are going to be lined up outside the church with $20 bills every single day, right? Well, that kind of stinks, doesn't it? Would you want to be outside? And by the way, I'm not saying do this because it doesn't, doesn't work. But would you want to be outside church every day with 20 bucks in your hand, wanting God to forgive you desperately for what you've done? No, it's not a good system. It's not a complete system, Right? So God needed a way to teach people so that they would understand that, listen, there are ramifications, serious ones, for when we rebel against God and when we hurt other people. And you know what? It's going to cost you big because you're going to have to sacrifice some of your livestock to pay for that, to be right. But it doesn't solve things completely because the blood of a bull cannot take the blood of people off your hands, which is why it needs more than just that, right? Let me just mention this idea real quickly as we finish. What we need is a once and for all solution. That's what we need, right? I mean, it's not fun to be able to, to come and stand outside with 20 bucks and want to, you know, ask forgiveness all the time. It's not fun to go and want to sacrifice an animal, right, um, to, you know, once a year to resolve the sins like a lot of the ancient Hebrews did. It's not fun to do those things, right? That's not a good final solution. What we all want is a final once and for all solution if roland had the ability to stop me from stealing his motorcycle all the time forever would he do it yes he would he would do it because he would not have to worry about it anymore right here's the thing we're going to talk about this we've got to end here because this is like i said i got all the bad news out today next week we're going to do the good news okay but here's the bad news. The bad news is, is that all of us have guilt in our lives because of the mistake that we make, right? We make mistakes, and we have guilt in our lives. 
And the problem is, is that we know from our innate sense of fairness and justice that we should do something. We should say that we're sorry. We should stand outside the church and, and, and make gestures or leave money or do something. We should do something to absolve ourselves of that guilt so that we can be reconciled with our family, so that we can be reconciled with our friends, so that we can be reconciled with God, right? But here's the problem. The problem is we need a once and for all solution, not something that we do every single week and we just constantly do it and constantly do it and constantly do it and never get anywhere. This is the reason why God sent Jesus, because Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice for you and I. He was willing to come and die for our sins, for your sins, to be that sacrifice. He was the one, and we're going to talk about next week, that instead of us saying to God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How many, you know, if we think about how many times we've said our sorry in our lives. Oh, somebody's good. Oh, I guess I can ask, who should I pick on here this morning? I will pick on Ramir. Rich is the one who I really want to pick on. Ramir, how many times you said you're sorry to Verley? I should ask Verley how many times she said she's sorry to Ramir, right? <laughs> right? It's almost unlimited. What if it was possible, instead of us saying, I'm sorry to God every single day and not really meaning it, or meaning it in part, what if it's possible for someone to say to God, I'm sorry on behalf of you, and that one I'm sorry erased everything from your life would that be something you're interested in what if that one person could say i'm sorry to everyone you ever knew and erase all the bad stuff you've ever done would that be something you're interested in it would be right so we don't come to worship jesus because he was some guy who died and we have easter eggs or anything like that but because he was the one one god appointed to say i'm sorry to God and to the world on our behalf. We're going to talk about this next week, but let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and if there's someone here today who has never really committed their life to Jesus, have never really chosen for him to be their sacrifice, Father, I pray that you'd bring them back next week, but I also pray even more specifically that they would make that decision, that, Father, instead of them trying to account for their mistake, that they would allow Jesus to do that. He's the one who wants to do that, Father. Lord, and in fact, the only way that we can account for our mistakes is to allow Jesus to do that for us, Father. Otherwise, we're going to be spending our lives saying I'm sorry and never getting anywhere. Father, we pray this morning that for all of us here, that we would learn, first of all, and have in our hearts and know that you created a way to absolve us from our sins and reconcile us back to you, but that it would be meaningful such that it would challenge us and encourage us not to do what is wrong but to do what is right. Father, to follow your guidance in our lives. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name.